Isn't he good this morning? Isn't he worthy of affection and adoration and all glory and honor and power? He is Jesus. And, and the, the phrase in that song that, that grabs me, the phrase in that song that stirs my affections for his namesake, the phrase in that song that completely just really ravages my heart is that he brings our chaos back into order. And he's the only one. You say, teacher, you've said that a million times. I'm going to say it a million more. He's the only one that can take our brokenness and our chaos and he can put it back together as a mosaic, a masterpiece for his glory and his honor. He's the only one. Man, if that don't get you going, your going's broke. You know what I'm saying? All right, Romans 4, let's go. I'm excited about the word this morning. I'm always excited about the word. This morning, um, reading through this text and preparing... They were simple truths of Scripture that, that jumped from the pages and arrested my heart. And this morning as we walk through this piece of Scripture together, I want us to be humbled. I want us to be blessed by the reading and the teaching of the Word. So let me pray before we jump into this. Father, Lord, I, we're not here to conjure up anything, God. We're not here to think that we, can, that we can bring anything to you that you need. You don't need anything. You are totally sufficient in and of yourself. And God, it is such an honor that you have allowed us, mere human beings, to hear the gospel, to receive the gospel, to be humbled by the gospel. It is an incredible revelation that, that you sent your son to die on the cross so that we could have life and life to the full. And we get to have a blast worshiping you, God. We get to sing, we get to dance, we get to raise our hands, we get to live out our faith, God. Lord, we get to walk with you through life, God. And this is such an incredible honor. So this morning, all we ask, God, by the power of your grace, by the perfection of your name, is that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. 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 If you're in Romans, we're in the fourth chapter. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to kind of walk through it together. It says, what shall we say then? What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. I want you to just file that word away in your mind, to boast about. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That word believe is faith. You've heard us talk on Sunday mornings about justification by faith. How we were justified in Christ before God through faith. I'm going to repeat that. We were justified in Christ before God through faith. And even the faith that we received to be able to repent of our sin and turn to Christ was an incredible gift laid out by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Please chew on that. I want us to realize, approaching the text this morning, that even just sitting in this room, Coming together with a, a body of believers, the reality and truth that you and I can see this word, that, that we can read things and our hearts begin to beat fast and we can open our eyes and we can see the enormous love of God for us. Even that, even the sight is a gift from God. 
And we should be humbled. So check this out. It says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. I'm going to just read all this, and then we'll work back through it together and have some fun. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who God counts righteousness apart from the works. David said this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Can somebody say amen to that? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the Jews? Or also for the uncircumcised? Is it for everybody? If we say that we have faith, if we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteous, how then was it counted to him? Was it counted to him before after the circumcision? Or was it counted to him before his works? It was not. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. I want you to hear this. He had righteousness through faith before any work on his part was done. You hear that this morning? Before Abraham made an attempt to pursue God, before Abraham made that ditch effort to go after God, before Abraham had his first conversation with God, God was plotting for his eternal joy to draw him to himself and make a great nation out of him. Please tell me you can see that picture when you look in the mirror. Before we wanted him, while we were still doing our own thing, stumbling over our own sin and living for the cheap thrills of this world, God, even in our sin, Scripture says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't want us all cleaned up and perfect. It's like so many, even some of you sitting here, you think, well, maybe if I just get cleaned up, then God will receive me. Maybe if I get cleaned up, then God will want me. He wants you just as you are. Even in your sin, even in your mess-ups, even in your struggles, he is plotting every step for his eternal glory and your eternal joy. I want you to hear this this morning because our God is for you. Our God is for you. Hear this. I'm going to finish reading, I promise. I'm going to get through 12 and then I'll, I'll actually preach the sermon. Let's go. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Why is Paul harping on this? Why does Paul bring up Abraham? Why is Paul so intentional with saying, hey, this faith was before Abraham was circumcised. This faith was before Abraham really did anything. Why is Paul pointing in this direction? I want you to hear this because Abraham's one of us. I know we do this a lot of times. We look, at, we look at Moses, and don't get me wrong, they are different other than us. They saw burning bushes and the audible voice of God and all these things that we're probably not likely going to run across. Please call me if it does, though. If you go home and your crepe myrtle is on fire and it won't go out, that is a move of the Lord, and I want to Instagram it, tweet it, and put it on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? I want the world to see. What if, 
I'm not going to go there. What if Moses had a Facebook? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hashtag Red Sea parted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not going to. All right. <laughs> Some of the things I say, man, I don't know. He was one of us. And I want you to see this picture. I want, I want to unpack this for you. And I, I want you to see this clearly. Because this, this, this broke my heart. But at the same time, it broke my heart. It, it was like a transfusion of joy. It was like I was on my last leg. And I was laying there. And, and, and all I had was a beep spiritually. Do you ever have those moments during the week? Anybody? Can I just confess in church, like the guy that preaches to you on Sunday sometimes struggles spiritually during the week? Like sometimes I have a bad day and I want to punch somebody in the face. You know what I'm saying? Can I just be real? Like I know we're not that. We're supposed to be dignified, right? No. That's real life. There are days that I wrestle and struggle. And I was in one of those kind of days. And spiritually, my, 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 my heartbeat spiritually was just kind of like beep. And I read this text and it was like beep. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. You've seen the movie. You've seen that Hallmark film. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's clinging on that monitor screen. Everybody's looking. Everybody's engaged. Is that person going to come back to life? And the only thing that can do it this morning is the Holy Spirit. But the cool thing is if you're engaged, if you're looking at the monitor of your spiritual atmosphere in your heart and you turn to the Word, you're going to see beep, 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 no matter what comes. Because He's the God of resurrection. So that's kind of where I was. Flatline, man, spiritually. Brokenhearted, wrestling. And then I realized in Genesis 15, you, you don't have to turn there. You can make these notes, though, and go back and fact check me like we do our president. Genesis 15. Abraham receives an incredible promise from God. You're going to have an heir. And you are going to be the father of many nations. And even at this time, Abraham is like, bro, I'm over the hill Twice. You know what I'm saying? He was old. God gives him an incredible promise. And it wasn't like, I want you to see this. I want you to see how incredible this is because Abraham's promise from God was not kind of like, not like what we experience. Like we read his promises in the word. God and Abraham were having a conversation. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you, like, you, you look at the stars of the sky and that's going to be your descendants. I'm going to start with you, Abraham, and I'm going to do something special in the world. I'm going to do something special through hum- humanity with you. I'm going to bring a promise into the world through you, Abraham. One chapter later. It's been a little time. Abraham's wife is barren. They can't conceive a child. So his wife says, hey, I have, this, I have this handmade girl. I mean, it's in the Bible. It's Genesis 16, right after it. So why don't you take her? And why don't you have a son? Why don't you get her pregnant? Because I can't give you a child. So many times, we love, like I said last week, we love to throw Eve under the bus. We love to throw Sarah under the bus. We love to throw. But Abraham, in a moment, could have said, no, we are going to trust in the promise and the faithfulness of our God. As a man of God, as the leader of your house, I I want to tell you there are going to be these moments 
where you have to make a decision, and it might not be popular with your family, it might not be popular with your kids, it might not be popular with your wives, wives, it may not be popular with your husband, but there are times you're gonna have to draw a line in the sand and say, no, we are gonna believe in God's faithfulness. We are gonna cling to him, we are gonna carry the cross, and it's not going to be comfortable. But I I want to communicate this, and I've communicated so many times, Christianity was not designed to be comfortable. The planter of Christianity, the source of Christianity, endured a cross. And he said that we were blessed if we suffered with him. But we cling to comfort and say, God, give me comfort. God just wants me to be comfortable and peaceful. Does he want us to be comfortable and peaceful? Yes, but sometimes that might be right in the middle of chaos. So Abraham in 16, just after the promise, God promises Abraham, I will make a great nation out of you. He chose Abraham. He could have picked Lot. He he could have picked some other dude. But for reasons unknown to us, only by the faithfulness and compassion of God, he chose Abraham. He pulled him apart. He separated him from the rest of the human race and said, I want to do something incredibly special through you. And one chapter later, Abraham's like, Hagar looks good. Seriously, do you you see the shift in his attention span? God's given me a promise. All right, Sarah. And hear this. In that instant, he fails to lead his family. He failed to believe the promise, and he failed to trust the Lord in his timing. This morning, are you trusting the Lord? I want to ask you this question. Are you trusting the Lord for his timing? Are you leading your family? Are you pursuing righteousness in Christ for the sake of your family, husbands, dad? Are you on your knees pursuing Christ on behalf of your children? Are you pleading on their behalf for your wife and for your kids? Husbands, are you leading your family? Are you acting like Abraham walking around looking at Hagar, being satisfied with seconds? Being satisfied with with what God has not promised you. He has a promise before you. And our entire life is going to be an option. We we are going to be able to, to pursue Sarah. We are going to be able to pursue Jesus and pursue the promise. Or our entire life we're going to be chasing Hagar. And Hagar always leads to brokenness. Anything other than the promise of God in your life will lead you straight to brokenness. Over and over and over again. Hear this. Genesis 21, the promise finally comes. So 15, Abraham's promised something. 16, Abraham acts like most of us would probably act in the wrong time, in the wrong place. Without the grace of God. And then in Genesis 21, the promise is coupled with suffering because of the brokenness of the fall. Listen to this. I want you to see this picture of brokenness because of sin. This is what sin does. Isaac is born. Should have been the most joyful time in all creation up to that point. The promise of God has finally arrived, but Abraham could not even enjoy the immediate promise that God had given because he had to banish Ishmael. He had to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Listen, that's what sin does. It doesn't allow us to enjoy the promise of God because with the promise of God becomes the brokenness for trying to do it our own way, trying to do it in our own power, trying to do it in our own might. 
I want you to hear this. God, all the way back in the book of Genesis, is unpacking this redemptive narrative where suffering and promise, sorrow and joy, repentance and faith are all woven together to make this mosaic we call Christianity. This thing is a hospital for sinners kind of place. Listen, the kingdom of God... The kingdom that God is building is a kingdom made of hookers and robbers, housewives and heretics, junkies and drifters. It's a place where the homesick and the heartbroken can find rest and the weary soldier finds strength. Listen, these sons and daughters that God has rescued are imperfect yet striving, undeserving yet destined, and altogether chosen by his grace for the glory of his name. And that's why we talk about Abraham. Do you hear that? His sons and daughters are imperfect, yet they are striving to know him. Don't think this morning that you have to have everything right. You have to have every T crossed and every I dotted or God's not going to be pleased with you or happy with you. Listen, he wants your heart. He knows your imperfections. He knows your faults. He knows your stumblings. He wants your heart because he's the only one that can take brokenness and still allow the promise to live. He's the only one that can take nasty, broken sinners and allow Jesus Christ to overcome all that nastiness with his grace and live freely inside of us. He's the only one. And that's why we point to Abraham, because he's one of us. Someone that heard the promise. Someone that rejected the promise. And then someone who still experienced the promise. Isn't that crazy? Can I just talk about the grace of God for a minute? That's how, if you're a believer, that's happened to all of us. We've heard the promise. If you live in the South, you've heard the gospel in 15 different ways, and probably 13 of those are heretical and should never be preached again. We've heard it a million times. We've heard the promise that Christ desires to seek and save the lost, that he desires to transform us from the inside out. We've heard the promise, and so often we've stiff-armed it. And you know what's incredibly humbling about it? That God, even in our rebellion, takes and kind of, you know what I'm saying? Puts our arm behind our back and he overcomes us with his love and still gives us the promise. In the midst of our rebellion, he pursues us in love and gives us the promise. The promised name is Jesus. And he's enough this morning. Listen, I, I want to make something clear to you. I want you to see this with me this morning in the text. I want to go back and hit on the point I said earlier about Abraham being chosen by God. Abraham was chosen by God because God chose Abraham. It's really that simple. Abraham didn't do anything to be chosen by God. A Abraham, Abraham didn't give enough tithes. Abraham didn't go to Sunday school enough. Abraham didn't come to Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Abraham, Abraham didn't take all the discipleship classes and he was not the perfect Christian. Abraham did not earn God choosing him. You hear that this morning? Read Genesis. But because in God's great faithfulness, you say, TJ, are you biblical? Let's just read the Bible. Genesis 18, 18 through 19. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For, before, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Do you hear that? The Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Abraham didn't do anything. 
He said, TJ, why are you harping on this? Why are you going there? Because we have been chosen by God. Ephesians 1, 3-4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You say, TJ, why are you harping on this? TJ, why are you pulling this reality that God has chosen us? Because we all need to be humbled by the reality that we did nothing. We had nothing to bring to the party. We were the awkward friend in the room with a bag of Doritos that thought it was sufficient. You know what I'm saying? We had nothing to bring. But dead, corrupt hearts. Sin after sin after sin after sin after sin after sin. That is all we had to offer God. But in his love and his faithfulness, he chose us. I don't know. I don't know about you. When I think about that. Not because TJ got it right. Not because I prayed the right prayer or said the right thing, but because God is infinite in love and mercy and grace. He pursued me in my sinfulness and he chose me out of my wickedness to be a son of his. That is incredible this morning. Listen, we did not, we did nothing to deserve this divine attention and ultimate intervention. God chose us in Christ. So hear this. Had there been no Christ, there would have been no opportunity to believe. There would have been no justification by faith and to show the limitless authority of his dominion. I want you to hear this. Even the faith that we're talking about, the faith that Abraham had, the faith that we share in Abraham, in Christ, because of the gift of God, it's all God's handiwork. It all hinges on his leading. It all hinges on his ability to resurrect, not on our ability to wake up or shake ourselves to a higher level of moral consciousness. Do you hear me? It's all contingent on the grace and mercy of God, not on our ability to shake ourselves awake or to come to some divine level of moral consciousness to where we finally begin to behave well. That's not what it's based on. It's based on the grace and mercy of God poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. That's what it's based on. That frees us to live free and in faith for him. Hear this. So why? Why bring up the reality of God choosing Abraham and in his same act of faithfulness choosing us? Because you and myself, I want to rob us of our boasting. You hear me this morning? He said, TJ, do you have intentions with this sermon? Absolutely. I want to rob you of your boasting. I want every single one of us, including myself, leaving this place knowing that we had nothing to bring to the table, that I had nothing to puff my chest out about when I came to the table with God, that I had nothing to offer him. But he, in his goodness, deposited his faith into me, allowed me to see his great salvation, and gave me the gift of his spirit to live after him. It was all on him. And that should level our pride. That should stir our affections to be grateful. You say, is that biblical? Let's read it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. The gospel should crush our boasting. Seth's going to come in just a minute, and we're going to have a time to respond, but I want you to hear this. I want you to see from the beginning how incredible, how beautiful the intricate design of God's redemptive plan is. Hear this. Just listen along. I want you to understand that God the Father has done the work from the foundation of the world. Hear this. God, knowing our sinfulness, pursued us in Christ before we were even born. Planning and orchestrating. Scripture says that we were formed before the foundations of the world, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, that we were knit together in our mother's womb. God has been plotting and planning for our eternal joy from the beginning. So hear this. Let's look at it this way. He's been planning and plotting and planning, orchestrating this divine atonement. He allowed trees to grow, knowing that one day one would be fashioned into beams and thrust onto Jesus' back and called a cross. He allowed thorns to grow, knowing that they would one day be shaped into a crown and thrust down onto the blameless brow of his son. God allowed creativity to spring into the heart of man, and man developed nails, nails that God knew would be driven into the hands and feet of Jesus Still further, God allowed the development of a spear that would be thrust into the side of his precious lamb. Think about what he has allowed. When God the Father planted the first seed in the garden, he knew. When God the Father spoke out the first tree, he knew there would be a day that that tree would be fashioned into a cross that would be laid on his son's back for the redemption of mankind. When he allowed creativity to spring into the heart of man to develop Ingenuity and somebody fashioned a nail. He knew at that moment that with progress came the reality that his son's hands would be strung to a cross and nailed. Think about this morning all that he has ordained, allowed, and orchestrated from the very foundation of the word of the world. From the very first seed planted in the garden. Think about all he is doing even now to pursue you in his grace. The purpose of today is to give God all the glory for the faith that we have and to humble ourselves before him in extreme gratitude. You say, what is your ambition? To rob you of your pride and to rob you of your boasting and to rob you of your idea of independence and realize this morning that he has done the work, that he has orchestrated your salvation, that he has loved you in such a way to draw you to himself and to give him the glory. To give him the glory. So this morning, I just want to ask. Seth is going to come, and we're going to have a time to respond. And, and, and our altar calls are sometimes weird. They're sometimes different. But we, we have a, a prayer team that's going to be over here. If you want prayer, you're allowed to walk over. There will be men and women. So you don't have to feel uncomfortable. If you have a family member that's sick, you're sick yourself, you have any need, they love to pray. Not only that, listen, this is also a time to, Seth is going to sing, but this is a time for us as a church to reflect on the things that we've heard. This is a time for us to lift our voices together or lift prayer to God and say, God, would you, would you soften my heart? Would you rob me of my, my independence? Would you rob me of my pride? Would you reveal to me the gracious gift in Jesus Christ? That's what our response time is for. And this morning, if you want to respond, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to hear this. If you're sitting in the room and you don't know that incredible gift in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
if you're living only in brokenness, if you're living only in chaos and the light of the Lamb of God has not shined down on your life, respond in faith, repent of your sin, turn to Jesus and he will accept you and love you and free you. I want to pray for you and then we'll respond. Let's pray. Father God, God, as we take a few minutes this morning to respond, we pray that you would allow us to see our faith as a gift, that you would allow us to see our conversion as a gift, that you would allow us to see, God, our entire lives as a gift from you. And God, I pray that you would God, infuse those in the room that you, are, that you are moving on. Even now, God, as I pray, you're moving on hearts to convert them, God. And I pray, Jesus, I pray that they would respond with boldness, that they would declare it to the world that you have saved them. And God, we just ask you this morning as we, as we turn to you in song, God, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.